Hey, this is Kyle. And this is David. And this is the Technel Podcast. Welcome to the Tech Moment Podcast, where we interview people from Denton and the tech and startup community uh, about random things. And today we're sitting here with Josh Berthume, head swasher of Swash Labs. What's what's the terminology? That's my technical That's title. That's your technical title. No, okay. I'm the founder and CEO. Founder and CEO of Swash Labs here in Denton, uh, which is a creative agency and other smorgasbord of... I, I like to say that we're a truly modern ad agency. Uh, mm. It's kind of built on the old... Uh, full service, fully integrated model where media buying and creative and uh, strategy and copywriting and design and cinematography and everything is all under one roof. Mm-hmm. It it was that way for a long time. And then in about the mid 80s, they started splitting out into really specialty agencies like a media shop and a TV shop or a uh, print shop or whatever it is. And we, you know, we have everything all together. So Sweet. All right. Well, David, you know where this is going. Yes. First question. <laughs> what brought you to Denton? Well, David, I'm glad you asked, uh, man. So the first time I'm, I'm going to flip it on you a little bit. I hope you're ready for this. Uh, the first time I came to Denton, uh, was actually in 1995. I was, I grew up in a town called Cleburne, mm. which is a little bit South of Fort Worth, uh, in a, in a derelict pit of a place called Johnson County. Um, and there are really swell people that I grew up with that I still know. Uh, I met my wife when I was going to Cleburne High School, but Johnson County in and of itself kind of it's got problems. Um, but uh, I grew up there in a, in a, as, a, as a performing artist, as a musician in a community that, that was very supportive and, and, and supported me and all the stuff that I wanted to do. Um, so I was able to have a high school, um, this is going back to Denton, I promise. Uh, I was able to have a job in high school where, uh, I was, uh, I was a really good percussionist when I was in high school. So I got to teach percussion lessons. So my first job when I was started, when I was about 15 was teaching drum lessons. Uh, and I made, you know, nine bucks a half hour and I taught all the sixth graders and, and all the junior high kids and, uh, even some elementary kids. So I, I actually had money so I could go and do things like I could go out on the weekend or, uh, I could go out to eat, you know, I could, you know, all, like the stuff that you don't normally do when you're in sort of a quasi poor part of a quasi poor town. I got to do that kind of stuff. So I got to go to Fry Street Fair mm. uh, in uh, 1995 for the first time. And I knew a bunch of guys that uh, were on the UTA drum line. I knew a bunch of guys that were on the UNT drum line. So uh, I had kind of like a crew that had kind of adopted me as their uh, weird, gangly, hairy uh, little brother. Cause I had like totally sick chops. Uh, so, uh, I came up for Fry street fair and I got to see, uh, you know, over on Fry street, you know, my, like my first day in Denton, I'd been here about 10 minutes and I was watching tripping Daisy, uh, like just blow everybody away on Fry street. And the rest of that day began this love affair that I had with Denton. Um, so I would come back occasionally and, and, uh, I, I came to see a lot of concerts and a lot of percussion programs when I was up here and, you know, UNT, uh, was essentially like one of the best music schools in the world. Um, and, uh, it was, it was one of a couple of schools I applied to out of high school. Um, but the, the other two were the, the only other two that I would go to instead of UNT and it was Juilliard and Berkeley. And I got into Berkeley. Um, so I, instead of going to college here, I went to Berkeley first because they had a film scoring program and all kinds of stuff. But I had some friends who were in the music program here. And, uh, there's this funny thing that happens when you're a scholarship student, uh, in music at a music conservatory. Uh, and it's, uh, if you get hurt, it's a lot like if you get, it's actually worse than if you get hurt, like on a NCAA, like football team, <laughs> you don't get red flagged. No, no. What <laughs> happens is they're like, well, if you can't play in the scholarship bands anymore, uh, you can start paying us the private school tuition, uh, or we'll call you a cab. And all I had done for about nine years was play drums. So I had been masking like massive nerve damage and carpal tunnel and, and all kinds of stuff. And I, I went and helped some friends move uh, help their parents move out of their condo in Rhode Island 
and then my hands didn't work for a week. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't button my own shirt. I couldn't open a can, you know, uh, I keep hitting this thing here. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Um, so my hands were totally messed up and I, and I went to go see a doctor and they're like, well, you have to stop drumming. Just, you have to stop. You just can't. So, um, Berkeley was, uh, unsympathetic and, uh, <laughs> uh, so, um, I, I kind I cut a deal to, uh, to go to school at UNT because everyone there knew me and they knew the level of musicianship that I had had, uh, and they knew I wanted to be a composer. So I was able to go to UNT and study music without having to play, which as a music major, normally you have to play and go through juries and everything, but they were letting me do other things that ended up ultimately not working out because a new Dean of music showed up after I'd been here for about two or three years after I'd come back and started living in Denton, um, who essentially was like, well, uh, if you don't have like an ADA certificate, then we're not gonna, you have to still do all that stuff. So start practicing marimba. And I was just like, I can't know, I can't do that. Um, so I got a political science degree instead. Oh, well that's a turn. <laughs> it is a turn. And I was on the, uh, the very long plan in college kind of anyways. And, uh, in that same time period, I was, uh, working at, after I'd come back to Texas, I was working at dot-com startups. And, uh, I, when I, not too long after I'd come back from, uh, from Boston in uh, like late 90, late 98, early early 99 uh i was the youngest and most beshorted uh creative director at jobs.com and that was a job i should not have had because uh, basically i could write html and use photoshop and they're like get in here <laughs> let's let's make some stuff for I the internet would, i think that was like the status quo at the time it was i mean i'm not saying like i talked my way into it it was just it amazed me because i just had the the gall to just go to a meeting where it was like oh you're, you're paying people what i'll be a creative director i can write because <laughs> i had been you know i i when i was in boston and and you know when i was in high school i had been like oh i like making movies and being creative and writing stuff and maybe someday somebody will pay me for it and then these fools decided they would and it was I should never have gotten that job and it was stupid and it was <laughs> but I did a good job and then uh, and then after I worked there for about six months uh, we all went to lunch one day and we came back and there were chains on the doors because it was dot com time and, <laughs> and then the next dot com startup I worked at my uh, my paycheck balanced after six weeks and then uh, and then the one after that, like everyone was getting phantom shares or something. <laughs> it was real messed up. So ev- eventually while I was finishing my degree at UNT, I started, a like a private consultancy doing web development and stuff around 2000. Sweet. Uh, and that was when we moved all the way to Denton. I was going to school in Denton. I lived in Louisville, but moved here all the way, all the way in 2000. Sweet. So, so that's how you got to Denton. And it's then- a very long answer to that question. <laughs> It wasn't just like, oh, I was born. It's the ABCs of me, baby. <laughs> so you uh, uh, going, talking about like going through all the dot-com busts and things like that, was that kind of like your start into the tech realm, into getting into technology? Or in your case, I mean, you're in advertising yeah. more specifically. So, I mean, how did you go from being a consultant, doing HTML, to now doing like media buying and advertising? I think because my, my skill set has always been so weird and I've always kind of had this operating philosophy that specialization is for bugs and that people should, uh, you know, it should be pretty deep, but in some, sometimes I think it's better, uh, for the pool to be wider than it is deep. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not always true. Sometimes you need a heavy hitter that can very specifically do like one sort of things. Or I think maybe like in your case, David, yeah, I seem like, and I, this is an assumption I'm making about you, but it seems like you started, um, with a, with a narrow and deep specialization and sort of business realities have sort of caused you to broaden out a little bit. Is that fair? Uh, I kind of say the, uh, the opposite. We started more broad and we're narrowing things. Okay. Well, so I'm totally wrong, but <laughs> in the right um, area, I guess. <laughs> In the, in the friendship area, the, the thing, you know, what it really is, is that when, when I started, I just knew I wanted to make stuff. Um, and back then people didn't really talk about, and this is a funny turn that things have taken when we were, when we were doing stuff for jobs.com or when I was making websites for the companies that we made, and we were able to sort of waltz in and get some pretty big name contracts just because no one else could say, well, sure, for the Chicago Auto Show, I can do a live webcam feed in 2002. 
you couldn't really do one, but we were like, we know how to do it and it'll, it'll look like this. And they're like, great, let's do it. No one else has that. So let's do it. So it was a lot of these times where if you could just, if you just had the, the nerve to try something, even if it failed meteorically, (laughs) you, you would get credit for it. Right. And, and the, the, the important structural thing there is that no one thought about digital in terms of this is digital marketing. Like it was a special siloed thing. It was, it started off as an extension. Mm -hmm. So if you were doing creative work and telling a brand story back then, but you were doing it on a website, it was just part of the deal. Um, now probably business structural people or, you know, people with MBAs out of Harvard would be like, well, they didn't understand how to budget for it and how to properly leverage assets or business language or jargon or whatever it is. But I think it was actually a more pure time because people didn't, didn't specialize it so much on the communication side. Now on the technology side, everybody made stuff and no one wanted you to plug your stuff into their stuff. Right. So it was incredibly expensive to do everything. Everything had to be custom built, everything. Like there were no deployments of like, well, I know that these three things already do these very sophisticated, super deep functions and I'll just plug them into my thing and then we can go and do something cool. Everything had to be built from scratch. It was like bespoke tailoring for every kind of business extension that you wanted. But if you just wanted a website and you could figure out how to park a video on there and force everybody to download however god awful big the thing was, uh, and you just wanted to do design, you just wanted to do coding. It was sort of a more pure time. So I really got into it from the standpoint of, I know how to tell stories. I know how to write and I know how to do this other technological stuff in service of that. And I was always, um, for somebody that was born in 1980 or born in 1979, I was always really comfortable with technology, like maybe more so than a lot of my, my peers were. Cause I'm sort of right on the end. I'm like, I'm enough generation X to be kind of mad about everything, but I'm not really like millennial or generation <laughs> Y to, uh, have been like, well, I'm totally, I was born digital or whatever it is. It wasn't that there's a, I always liked computers and I always liked, uh, you know, I was the kid that was playing command and conquer and ran the phone line all the way from one end of my house back to my room to direct dial my buddies in high school. And my, a totally BA like Pentium 133 or whatever. <laughs> I liked doing all that stuff. Ran up a horrible phone bill on AOL, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was really comfortable for me to come in and say, I know, sure, like I, I learned how to write HTML mostly because I wanted to make a GeoCities page and burn my friends. And the cu- the the basic things they offered you weren't enough for me. And they're like, oh, you can write code. Well, I, I'll, I'll learn how to write code so I can make an insult blink, you know, cause I want to know <laughs> how to do that. So really like everything, I have a ton of, of formal education and a lot of complicated things, but everything I know about technology, I've, I'm totally self-taught, which shows in the fact that I uh, failed developer and never made it as a programmer <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. But I always learned enough to get by to tell the story. Yeah. So, so We've talked about this with a couple of our other guests, um, uh, especially in the realm of digital marketing, because it's like, God, there, there's so much stuff to it, right? And it's it's interesting how certain agencies kind of focus in different areas, right? So the agency I work for, we're really big on like technical SEO and like data and analytics, and uh, you know, Blue Steel over here, they're really big on like social, like like social media marketing and things of that nature. Um, and you guys, like, what would you say? Is it more creative that you guys would you would probably say you do or what is kind of like the biggest thing you guys work with as an advertising agency do you guys hear my dog yes that's my dog <laughs> <laughs> um for the listeners his for the office listeners, is right next door yeah, our office is right next door um you know uh i was having a conversation with eric swain about this at lunch actually i went to go eat with eric today former podcast guest and current <laughs> senior VP of fan engagement at Funimation, Eric Swain. Um, he said, you know, I believe that, that agencies have a DNA and they sort of, they're really good at like one thing. Uh, and I reject that. Now, I think that you can certainly try to do stuff that's outside of your wheelhouse. You know, like we're not good. Like I'm not going to set up a telemarketing program and we're not like primarily uh, a really uh, strong like direct mail shop. But those are high specializations. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a traditional agency, and there's always a drive to really specialize and be like, we're really good at this one thing, right? 
And I think that we have that, but it's not in terms of technology or in terms of, of methodology. I think we have a philosophy that we're really good at. Um, we want to work for, we're really careful about who our clients are and we want to work for companies that really care about what it is they put out in the world. And we do a lot of nonprofit work, but for all of our clients that, that, that sell a thing that are, that are in it to make a buck, um, we want them to really care about the quality of the product or the service. We want them to care about the user experience because I think first and foremost, even though labs is in the name and like, I'm a data scientist and a guy that works in our media department, uh, essentially like halfway quit his, his statistics PhD to come work for us. Uh, and a lot of decisions that we make are rooted, uh, in, in math. Oh, that's a lot of the mechanical decisions, right? The, we, we really try very hard to always make the I idea inform the method as opposed to picking a method and then, and then going with an idea. Mm -hmm. So I think, and every agency is like, well, we're a storytelling agency, but I think that, I think that we really do work hard to tell a comprehensive brand story because I know for a fact that we, the way that we've built it and the way that we approach talking about a brand, we can't lie. Like what we do, uh, amplifies, what is true about a brand, whether we specifically tell that story or not because of the way that we approach it. So if a brand sucks or their, their product is bad or they don't care about their customers, we're not the agency for them because that will be writ large in whatever the end product is. Now we end up doing a lot of, of infrastructural things, a lot of foundational things because there are a lot of companies that have sort of been in business for 40 years and have never really thought much about their brand and then they want to do a new thing or they need to modernize or they want to go into this new place and they don't really know how to talk about themselves. So we do a lot of that work, which isn't fancy and isn't like, here's my big analytics dashboard that talks about how people understand the truth of who you are now, because it's, it's a lot of long-term year over year. Like here's, we put these things in place. So people that actually should care about you can hear about you. We actually, it, it's, we have it written on the front door. It says you unify, simplify, amplify. And it's essentially like everyone that's in charge of this company, you all have different ideas. Let's get you on the same page. And then let's boil that down to something that is, is true. Um, but is also easy to understand. And if you talk to any global brands that have staying power. If you talk to VW or, or Nike, like it, from the, from the janitor all the way up to the president of those places, you know, at Nike, they'll say we make uh, professional grade sports equipment for amateur athletes, right? That's what they do. They know that that's what they do. Uh, at VW, you know, we make, we make vehicles that feel premium for middle-class consumers. Like, no one's going to put that in their mission statement and be like, this is what drives <laughs> us. But that's what they do. And they, and they have the grace of self-awareness to understand what they really do in the world. And I think that we're very good at finding that out and then wayfinding a path to being able to tell a true story about a brand and, and connecting it with people uh, that, that really should care about that product. Good answer. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> now, the reason I say that is you're like, you know, some people are really good at technical SEO or they do these sorts of things. In that sense, we have a lot of expertise and we have a lot of horsepower in the brains at Swash Labs, but it's very different from client to client, what we do. Like what we do for <clears throat> little guys is radically different from you know, what we might do for, uh, any other client, even if they're, even if they're in a similar or a very different, uh, you know, service offering or product offering or whatever it is, it just, it depends on what that company is and, and who they're talking to. And a lot of those parts are the same, but that doesn't mean it's the same kind of machine that you're building. Right. Sweet. Do you have any comments, David? No. I like always, the philosophy though. I always have to look at you and be like, yeah, plus one. Plus one. Oh, and I, you know, I think a lot of those tools are the same, but you know, it's like we, we tell clients when they come to us and they've never done digital before, because we, we unpack a lot of those, uh, and it's not by, by intention. We don't go out looking for those clients, but we just 
happen to end up by referral with clients that are like, well, you know, my, my friend has a business and they were successful and they'd never done digital and they did it with you and it was great. So can you help us do that? Um, and, and a lot of the, a lot of the tools are, are, are very specific, but what we tell them is you shouldn't get good at Facebook or you shouldn't get good at Twitter. You should get good at understanding how to incorporate platforms into how to communicate about your brand Mm -hmm. so that when it invariably changes from Facebook or Twitter or whatever, or becomes this other thing, then, you know, here's how we tell our story. Here's how we make different kinds of media that, that are meaningful. And, and here's how we do it so that you can do it anywhere. Um, because your budget might change from year to year and maybe you have TV money next year and you didn't this year, or maybe, you know, Facebook crashes and burns and then we've got to go to, you know, then Google plus comes back and becomes what everyone <laughs> thought it would be. Uh, and then you got a plan, right? Like basically, you know, you know how to tell your story and it, and it doesn't matter what platform you're doing it on. You know yourself and you know how to make your case. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to ask about another realm of Josh, mm-hmm. but it's not swash realm. Sure. Uh, so, but I, if you want to talk about, it, I don't know if you do or not, but you used to be, um, fairly involved in, uh, politics. In terms of not like like being a politician, but yeah. in the kind of background. I was of, the guy behind the guy. You were the guy behind the guy. Yeah. Uh, so would you like to talk about that? Only because I find it incredibly interesting, and I always try and find something interesting about our guests. Um, you know, it was easier. <laughs> not saying you're not interested. <laughs> he tries. He does he what tries. he can. Yeah. Believe it or not, it was easier to make the case uh, for digital and politics than it was in business. Uh, I worked in electoral politics from 2004 to 2008, worked on campaigns. Um, now working in, and I worked in democratic politics. Anyone who has ever even glanced at me for a second on the internet knows I'm an unrepentant leftist. Um, working on democratic campaigns in Texas is a death march and it's, it's just a beating. It won't always be that way, but it, it was, especially when I was doing it and it's even worse now somehow. Um, but, you know, it became a way to solve the money fight. Politics was more and more becoming about if you're going to run for Congress, can you raise $2 million? Mm-hmm. And if you can raise $2 million, then the DCCC will give you another $2 million, and then you can compete with your Republican opponent who's going to spend $8 million, whether you raise any money or not. Um, so it, it leveled the playing field in a way that they talked about, like in the Clue Train Manifesto. Uh, saying this is going to level the playing field for businesses. And that took a lot longer because business is inherently distrustful of anything that they spend money on and then don't immediately see a return on, Mm -hmm. which is uh, owning a business. Like I get it, but it's also a super dumb way to look at the world. Um, But you wouldn't believe like, I, I, there's this, there's this moment in, uh, in Mad Men where, where Don Draper's talking to somebody about, about creative work. Uh, and the value of it. And if they properly value what an ad agency does, and he's like, you either got Jesus in your heart or you don't. And that is, that made politics very easy because you either had these crusty old political uh, consultants who were not interested in talking about digital because they didn't know how to do it. And it just meant they were going to lose money. Or you had new people who the democratic party was desperately trying to keep in places like Texas. So they wouldn't lose them in the brain drain to Washington DC who were running campaigns, who were ready to spend money on digital and were ready to embrace it as a, as a strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, so in a lot of ways, like making early sales in place strategically for digital in politics, um, was a lot easier than it was in business. Even when I started swash properly in 2010, uh, you know, which you would think was, was way deep into when it was time to be doing digital and business. Uh, but it was still a tough argument to make even then. Um, I learned a lot uh, working in politics. You know, the first stuff I did in politics was uh, raising money because that's the first job you have to do in politics. So you get to do other jobs. And if you're not willing to debase yourself on the phone for eight hours a day and just call people and be like, will you give this guy, and especially in Texas, who's almost certainly going to lose, <laughs> will you be a good soldier and give him five, just $500? <laughs> And you can come to the you can come to the the fundraiser and you can shake his hand and you can say I was there when when he lost his first race you know or <laughs> all these sorts of things and 
Um, once you get through that, then you can start doing communications and organizing and, and stuff like that. And I always worked in these sort of external ways. You know, I would consult on a campaign or I would do a thing and I never moved to Austin <clears throat> and sort of got into anybody's camp. Mm hmm which when I started Swash Labs allowed for kind of an interesting positioning because I wasn't in a certain state rep or state senator or congressman's office. I was just this guy who everyone knew who had done work, who everyone assumed was good. You know, yeah. And people that had worked with me thought like, oh yeah, he knows what he's doing. Um, so that actually got us some work uh, at Swash, some political work in the early days. Um, and that was cool. Um, but then I think in the long run, uh, not being in somebody's camp made it harder for us to keep doing campaign work yeah. in Texas. Plus, man, working on campaigns is a grind. Like, I like working on statewide initiatives. I like working on issues, communication. Um, and we've done some of that stuff at Swash, and it's been cool. But working in candidate electoral politics, like, you better make sure you get paid before Election Day. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not, like, some specific campaign that i'm talking trash about this is every campaign in the world <laughs> they it is a they you every every campaign needs more time more money and more people and money is a thing you can go create more of right and then they always spend it poorly <laughs> towards the end and there's one campaign that didn't spend it poorly uh twice and that was obama 08 and obama 2012 and the things they did with data it was like all the stuff that guys like me had been sitting around in rooms yelling about for four years by the time we got to 08 they actually did it and proved that it worked and then everybody got their hands on it and ruined it and <laughs> now it's a mess again but it's a it's a much more technologically advanced mess uh, than it was, uh, in, in, in 2000, uh, in 2000, uh, you know, six or four. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about the most recent election or man, I don't know if we have time for that, <laughs> but you are more than welcome to make any comment. I'm unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> and like a lot of it though, is from a business. Like it's not even me coming at it from a political. There's plenty that I'm unhappy about from a political standpoint. But like this thing that happened today. Did you see this thing about Boeing? Okay. So a story went up in a newspaper where somebody from Boeing said they weren't crazy about Trump's trade policies. Mm -hmm. 27 minutes later, Donald Trump tweeted that Boeing shouldn't be getting all this money to build the next Air Force One, and their stock price tanked immediately. That's some power. And, well, it, just, and it just had like this lie in it that they're getting $4 billion to build Air Force One, but the only current active contract they have with the Air Force is $150 million to work on requirements for the next Air Force One. So... As a person who does a business, that's terrifying to me because that means that people who should be in a place to talk about trade policy, meaning people that do a business, are now not going to be interested in talking about trade policy <laughs> because your stock price is going to you know, take it in the can because this guy's going to get out there and yell something about you. Like That's awful. <laughs> and that's that's a political conversation I've, I've always been about like human rights and social issues and let's take care of like poor people and old people and kids and all that sort of stuff and now like as a businessman i'm like that is awful for business <laughs> don't do that to to a business we're, we're we out here trying to earn what are you doing you know so that's my political commentary for today we'll keep it tidy all right so what would you say what what was probably the biggest thing you learned from working in politics that you kind of like trained transitioned over to your current business like your biggest takeaway how to talk really yeah because i started an, an ad agency to do cool creative work i started an ad agency to be don draper and i am uh, roger sterling like every day and <laughs> like 10 percent of my time maybe is creative work and creative direction like i pulled myself out of the creative director job and gave it to an incredibly a uh, talented and qualified person uh, named uh, Jessica that, that works at our shop now. And she's our creative director and she's like awesome and amazing. But like, that was supposed to be my job. Like, I'm going to be like, this is what I'm going to do. And, the, and, and I, and I couldn't do it because I needed to sell and mm -hmm. I needed to pitch work into clients and I needed to do stuff that a guy that runs an agency does. So, you know, my dad sold cars for 30 years and his 
grandfather or his father was an assembly of God preacher for like 60 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when I was uh, a teenager and I was going to go write music for movies and video games and be an, be an artist and the muses were going to come to me and all that sort of stuff. I used to say, well, like, well, you're in sales. I'm never going to be in sales. Grandpa was in sales, <laughs> just, you know, religion, blah, you know, sales. So then I started working in politics. My dad was like, so you're never going to be in sales. huh?" <laughs> but there's, there is this, there's a, being an extrovert, I think is a, is a gift and being able to read a room is a gift and being able to talk and tell a good story is a gift. And my number one drive forever, even when I wanted to write music to do it was always to tell a good story. Um, so being able to read a situation, being able to understand sort of which way things are blowing, learning to trust my gut, uh, in politics. Cause I think anyone that's in business now knows like you start getting that inkling about a client or you start getting that inkling about an account or about how something is going. You're never wrong. You tell yourself, you, Oh, it'll yeah. be okay. Tell yourself like, ah, oh, it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be okay. <laughs> Cause you need it to be okay. Right. Cause you got to like make payroll or you got to do a thing or whatever it is, but we're never wrong. And learning, learning to trust my gut, um, is a lesson that I'm, that I'm constantly trying to learn over and over again and, and get better at, uh, learning to not worry. Uh, my two, I, I always like try to pick up things that I can tell to people about like why worrying and worrying about future you is, is not helpful at all. Um, and the, my two favorite current favorite ones are Kevin Smith says that, uh, uh, worry is interest paid on a debt that never comes due. And Newt Scamander in the new Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts in that movie that came out. It's a great, A, it's a great movie. Go see it. Um, but B, uh, somebody asked, said like, oh, it seems like you never worry about anything. And his character says, well, my philosophy is if you worry, you suffer twice. And mm. it's really true, man. Like uh, living, living in the now is important. And uh, my kid just walked by I with see, my dog. Yeah. And there's my wife. I Hi. see. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, and it's important. And like, you can, you can eat yourself alive as somebody that owns a business as somebody, even at a job, you know, like you just worry, it can, can wreck you. And there's no point to it because reality stretches out in front of you in a million different possible eventualities. And you, you know, you never know what's going to happen. It's worthless to, to sink so much concern into a thing unless you can do something about it and then you should do something about it. Um, and then I think the other, and this is funny, I think you were looking for like, oh, what technical thing or, you know, what process did you pull out of politics? But I, it was very human things. It was don't worry. It was trust your gut. And it was learning to forgive yourself because mm-hmm. politics, smart people rise to the top. Uh, one of the smartest people I've ever known is a girl I went to high school with named Elizabeth Alexander. Um, she went to work on Capitol Hill and just busted her tail. And, you know, she ended up being the press secretary for Joe Biden like for the vice president in, you know, in the white house, like had that gig and she made her because she worked hard and she was smart, you know, and that's all really valuable, but no matter what, everyone else is human. You don't know what their constructions are. You don't know what their perceptions are. And if someone else has the opportunity, uh, to punish you for something, they will. Right. If it like, I don't want to feel blame. So I'm going to push this onto you or I don't want to feel shame or guilt or judgment. So I'm going to push it onto you. And it's easy to absorb that and, and internalize it and, and, and not be able to forgive yourself for mistakes that you were going to make, where even if you are among the very best in your field, you're always going to make mistakes. Something is always going to go wrong, right? Nothing ever goes perfect. And I was a, like when I was a musician and I thought that's what I was going to do with my life. I was a perfectionist. Like, you know, so hard on myself, just beating myself up forever. Could not forgive myself for even tiny things. And man, being able to unravel that knot and learning how to forgive yourself, working towards not worrying because it's not something you can put all the way down. But all of those things have served me very well in business. And it and it's allowed me to not do the number one thing that I think makes people make bad decisions in business and it's to make decisions based on fear, right? If you, if you're full of shame and you're full of worry, you're not going to make good choices when, when hard times come. Um, 
and it, it's a tough prescription and it's, it's something like I have to work on. Like my personal professional and personal like self-improvement practice is not, I'm going to get better at Ruby or I'm going to learn how to do these things. It's forgive yourself. Don't worry. You know, like I'll give yourself space so you can, you can be the best version of yourself that you can. I think your daughter's about to press her face up against the glass. She <laughs> So was that uh, a good answer? That was you? a great answer. Uh, I totally forgot what I asked to be honest. <laughs> what did I learn? That sounded great. Uh, all right, David, is that are you, nothing else? No, I was just waiting for you to awkwardly phrase the, uh, the last question. Oh, but sometimes you do it. Yeah. Are you, are you feeling it uh, today? God, we're like an old couple. We just, <laughs> it's adorable. I know. <laughs> I wish, you, I wish you both had hats. <laughs> I wish you had matching hats. Maybe you should get like a red beanie. I'll just wear my blue beanie. It'd be like yeah. Strange Brew. Oh, yeah. I don't know what that means. You ain't never seen Strange Brew, the McKenzie Brothers? No. Strange Brew, eh? No? No. Okay. You got to watch that movie. <laughs> it's a comedy classic. Uh, all right. So there's a couple things you can probably say. Um, but the last question is... Anyone and I maybe give it from two perspectives because honestly, I uh, as a as a person who is interested, like who was previously not interested in politics at all whatsoever, <clears throat> who is now kind of concerned and actively doing things or trying to be more involved, either at a local level or you know regional or state, national, whatever. Um, a, what advice would you give to someone? who is looking to become politically active or get involved in politics in some way and help their party of choice, whatever it may be. And B, what advice would you give to someone who is interested in doing creative or whatever you're doing right now, to be honest, being Josh entrepreneur, doing a business, doing a business, having SWAT, having Josh labs. Yeah. Josh labs. Uh, so getting involved in politics is super easy. Um, you just go down to your local political party office and say, I'd like to volunteer. Now, most instances of the beginnings of political activism, uh, if you're doing it from a partisan standpoint, are not like the West Wing. It's set up these chairs at this beans and jeans and listen to this guy who like, may or may not be like, mentally competent to, to have a driver's license, let alone run for statewide office, but he's doing it, and you're going <laughs> to listen to him talk while you eat bad barbecue or whatever it is. Like it's a lot of that. It's a lot of phone banking. It's a lot of, uh, if, if, if your local organization is doing it right, but there's nothing quite so informative as talking to voters, uh, that aren't on your side automatically, right? That it gets you out of the echo chamber. I made like hundreds of phone calls for Hillary Clinton. Cause now they have tools where you can just dial into the website and, and they'll, they're, they're like, Hey, we need you to make calls to Florida or we need to make calls to Nevada or whatever it is. And you just get to do it. And these are people in a voter file where they're reasonably certain that this person is going to vote for their candidate. Um, that's how they got on that list, but you don't really know for sure. And your job is to remind them and tell them to go vote. This is what get out the vote means. This is part of a much larger bit of machinery uh, about how political campaigns work. And it's a very important part of field, which is a huge, hugely important part of a, of a political campaign. And what you might learn if, if a party is doing it right, if a local organization is doing it right, uh, you'll go out and block walk when an election is not anywhere near uh, happening. And you'll go talk to voters and learn what they're, what's important to them mm-hmm. or what they care about, whether it's your voters or somebody else's voters, whatever it is. Um, Local initiatives is also a good way to really get started first in the uh, political process. Um, you, in the last couple of cycles here in Denton, you saw some strange bedfellows get together for some uh, local initiative type elections that ended up being uh, pretty successful. You know, like Denton's no longer a dry county, which was an, uh, a function of a local initiative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and we banned fracking. Uh, which then the state legislature immediately made it illegal <laughs> to ban fracking. And that's, that is how politics works, right? Who governs matters. And we're about to find that out in an incredibly visceral way. Elections matter <laughs> who governs matters. So if you feel 
politically concerned about human rights or about social issues or about economic issues or whatever it is. There's, there's someone that needs your help. There's an organization that if you don't have time to go volunteer and you know, I don't volunteer enough. I don't do enough political activism uh, cause I have a kid and I'm running a business and I'm, you know, like I do these other things now. And that is the excuse that everybody has, but a lot of people do have time for it, but you gotta be willing to go do what's really helpful. It can't be what you're, vi- I fired volunteers before <laughs> on political races because they're like, I'm here to help. And I'd be like, do this thing. It's going to help us. And they're like, I don't want to do that. I want to do this sexy thing. And like a lot of organizations would put up with that. And I would, I would make people leave because uh, <laughs> it doesn't help, right? Like, you know what you need. You need people to make phone calls. You need people to raise money. You need people to block walk. You need people to go, uh, or if it's a cause based organization that needs you to work a, a, you know, an angel tree desk or needs you to go pick up food or whatever it is. You know, if, if politics is distasteful to you, and you want to help your fellow man, but you don't want to do it through what you view as a broken and corrupt system, which I wouldn't blame you, uh, go volunteer at a soup kitchen, you know, like go our daily bread here in town. Like they need help. Um, there's always a place where you can go and help people. Um, and you'd be surprised at how a lot of those different nonprofits or organizations that are put together to help people, uh, provide a pretty interesting pathway into politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you get involved in politics because you, because you want to help because you want to improve the world. Right? So my, my best advice for getting involved in politics is find a way to do one small thing a week or a day or a month that helps somebody and go do it. And that will hook you into, um, being an active part of a political process with a, with a union or with a, with a group or with the ACLU or, uh, with Planned Parenthood or, you know, whatever those equivalencies are on the, on the right, I guess, uh, it'll, 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 it'll put you on that path and it might be a more effective way to do it, uh, than just showing up to volunteer at a political party, you know, in an off year when there's no election coming up. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there may be nothing for you to do right now, especially based on the health or strength of your local political party, but find some way to help and go do it. Um, as for, um, doing creative work, it's so different now than it used to be. You used to have to like go and get an advertising degree or, you know, there were like really defined paths into doing creative work for a living. And, you know, I have a political science degree and a, and a, and a behavioral economics degree, right? I use those degrees every day in my work, but it's not like I went and got an advertising or a marketing degree or an MBA or whatever it is. In fact, I think those things would hurt me. Mm-hmm a lot of our hiring has been like, we don't want people that have worked at other agencies because we want to be incredibly flexible and very liquid and like how let, let's have a figure it out model as opposed to, I always have the answer. We always start with a beginner's mind. We always try to learn what we can about somebody's business. Um, but everybody that comes to work there is, was pretty good at like three things. Like they could write, they were designers, they were talented photographers. They, um, you know, understood statistics. Like there was some hook that said, okay, your role here is primarily this, but then it's going to be, it's going to grow into these other areas. Mm -hmm. Um, you got to have nerve. Uh, it helps if you want to go work for somebody else to be confident and you know, that doesn't don't, okay. Don't work for free, (laughs) go to an internship, but they even got to pay for internships now. And that's right. Um, if you were a freelancer, and you want to you wanna like build a book and go out and do things, um, you can donate things to charities or causes that you, that you believe in and build your book that way. But don't do this thing where you enter logo design contests or do a design for somebody for exposure because that's awful. Exposure dollars. Exposure dollars. You can't pay your rent <laughs> and exposure. Design <laughs> is a job. Writing is a job. Advertising is a trade. Anybody that tells you, "Oh, the muses speak to me, and I do this thing," it's. I was going to swear, but we got to keep it for the for hey, the, the kids. The dog worked out. The though. dog worked out. <laughs> <laughs> the dog was bleeping me. Don't do that. Learn your trade. Learn how to write. Learn how to design. Learn how to do that stuff. Um, you know, you don't have to get paid a lot of money at the very beginning to get good experience, but don't do it for free, and mm-hmm. don't do it for terrible money like that. Um. 
the joke when we came in here uh, was, you know, I was complaining about stuff and I was dumping out about being frustrated about things. Uh, so I said, well, when you ask me that question, I'm going to say, don't do it. <laughs> Never try. Don't follow your dreams. It's stupid. But um, I have always like been struggling against this like real streak of cosmic nihilism. Like ever since I was a teenager where it's like, well, the sun's going to go out in four billion years and we're all going to die someday and it's not going to matter. <laughs> and this isn't like a life is precious thing, but like, like, you know, life is hard enough as it is. Don't do things you hate, right? Figure out a way to make it work to get to do stuff you want to do and then go do that. Sometimes that means keeping your overhead low. Sometimes that means not making a lot of money for a while. It's all about how you value things and and do them and i did it all wrong my overhead is horrendous i'm like buried in student loans like i've just got a lot of things that that force my hand into making a lot of decisions i wish i didn't have to make um but i still invented a job for myself that i get excited about going to every day um and my kid gets to grow up seeing me be excited about the work that i do and that has a lot of value for me mm-hmm. um so if you want to do this, then do it and don't worry about the details. Don't wait for somebody to give you permission. Don't wait for somebody to be like, now it's okay for you to go do this work. Be ready to compete and be ready to, to make your case and to prove the value of what it is that you, that you do. Um, but go do it because you're going to die. Like the earth <laughs> is going to be destroyed someday. <laughs> Why waste your time doing things you hate? That doesn't mean you have to be totally crazy about every aspect of what you're doing every day, but you like be in the right river, you know, <laughs> like just there's, there's, there's literally no reason why if there's something you've always wanted to do, why you shouldn't give it a try. I, I have tried to do all kinds of things and discovered that I don't like doing those things. And then I, and then I know. I think a lot, some of that is wrapped up in the fact that I don't like doing things I'm bad at, <laughs> which is a very true thing about me that it's okay. And I, I forgive myself and I, I know how it works, but, um, just, just do it. You know, my biggest mistake is I waited for someone to give me permission. I felt like I needed to pass these barriers and do these things before it was okay for me to do it. And honestly, Swash Labs was like, I started this company 17 days before my kid was born. Uh, it was the last desperate attempt of a man who had failed over and over and over and over again. And I was like, this is what I'm good at and this is what I can do. And all these other dummies are out here making money. So why can't I make money, but do a good version of it. And I burned the boats, man. Like, like there's no contingency plan. Like this works or it's over and I made it work. So don't, get yourself to that place like start earlier <laughs> start earlier from a healthier position and and get into it all right well that's probably that's probably enough yeah we, we should have like a josh part two like where you follow up on everything you just talked to us about yeah but i can bring the dog you next can bring time. the dog yeah. next time yeah so the dog's on the podcast anyways yes. as is my kids so. <laughs> yeah. anyways i want to i want to say uh a, a couple of things about about technol. I know we're trying to wrap it up and everything, but I think that I like this podcast. I like what you're doing. I think it's a cool examination of, of what, uh, what makes Denton cool. I love this city. I very intentionally set my business up here. I'm raising my kid here. Uh, we try to do a lot of things to, to like help this city, uh, you know, grow towards what I think it can be. Uh, so I like what you do and, and, you know, like I, I'm a big fan of, 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 both tech mill in general and you guys specifically. Um, and Thanks. it's just, it's nice for there to be a forum for people to come together and be like, I made a thing. Look at it. How do you, isn't this cool? We're all making stuff <laughs> like that. Like knowing that you're not alone and that there's other people out there that are trying to do a thing like that's so valuable. Yeah. And I just thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. Uh, the last guest we had Jacob, he, he had a really good comment um, where he said the, one of the last things he said was if there is one thing you can do in your community, that'll make a difference. Or what, what was that? Is it, didn't he say something like that? Yeah. Something like that. Just, yeah. just do it. Yeah. Just it, do was, it. it was just yeah. like, yeah, just be part of your community and do something to help benefit. So, so Josh, if anyone would like to hear more uh, rants about your life or past political, uh, chasm whatever you want to call it yeah. uh, how can they get in touch with you or if they want 
if you want them to get in touch with you. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, I'm Jay Berthum on the tweets and the Instagrams. J B E R T H U M E. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I have uh, a medium uh, set up at joshberthum.com uh, that I'm trying to. I like writing, and I haven't written anything just for pleasure in. Well, I can't remember the last time I did that, so I'm trying to do that. Um, and uh, if you want to look at, at what Swash Labs does, you can go to swashlabs.com. And uh, and we're rad and dope, and you should hire us. Awesome. Yeah. That's sweet. And that'll all be in the show notes. Yeah. All in the show notes. Awesome. Rad well, and dope. Rad and dope. Make sure did you get definitions of, of rad and dope. Yeah. yeah. For, all right. For those that don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Josh, thanks again. For being here this was awesome Thanks. super great guests yeah I, I hope people learned a lot so. i learned a lot about i guess my feelings about things not, <laughs> not a lot of actionable information so here. we it's charge not... 250 an hour yes. yeah. uh, so here's this here's you guys have people on here that are like building stuff with javascript and doing cool things i'm just like listen i got feelings <laughs> and opinions and i did some stuff once so i don't know i hope it's i hope it's compelling <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what the ratings say. Though. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being on. Uh, once again, this is the Techmo Podcast, where we interview uh, super, super dope and rad folks in Denton, uh, and Josh is one of them. So smash that like button, <laughs> subscribe, subscribe, share, subscribe. It. put us a review on iTunes. <laughs> Five star. Are you even on iTunes? We, you yes. know what? We never ever mention that even yeah. though we are you know what because here i'm a marketing so you, here it is <laughs> smash that like button and and leave a five-star review on itunes because it helps because it'll it'll show it to other people so do that well all right well thanks for being here and my bill's in the mail <laughs> <laughs> we'll equal it out with our uh, therapy session okay so good. all right well we'll see you guys next time thanks bye 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 I just drink coffee with a straw. That was a terrible idea. <laughs> I yeah. I saw an episode of Wife Swap once where a family who, uh, it was a dentist and he made all the kids uh, drink all their drinks through a straw. Oh, it's uh, like the teeth thing? Yeah, the teeth. Oh. You're nodding over here like you saw it probably. No, I, I, I had a ex-mother-in-law that would do that. Man, just layers upon layers. I didn't know you had a kid until today. <laughs> now you got an ex-mother-in-law. Well, I mean, like, are yeah. you a vampire? How old are you? You, I'm 36. 37. I'm old. <laughs> the fuck am I? Been? I'm almost your age. It's yeah, and it's. I guess it's funny because I've just been like, I've I've been in a relationship since I was 19. <laughs> so everyone else is like, right. I've been married twice, and I had all that. I've owned like four houses, and I moved all over the country. I'm just like, what the fuck have I been doing? I've played a lot of video games. Uh, I was riding chocobos. I had some max level WoW characters. <laughs> I could play sweet double stroke. You, all, you also have a master's degree, a business that you've been running for quite a while. Hey, That's we're going to get to that in the yeah. podcast. Don't ruin it Save for the it. listeners, all right? Anyways, uh, that freak made his kids and everybody drink through a straw because that would keep, they would keep their... He believed it would keep their teeth cleaner. Mm. And he drank coffee through a straw. Were they metal straws? No. Really? I've seen the metal straw. <laughs>